Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another Monday evening where we continue our reflections into Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. We are in what? 1 Corinthians chapter 4. We will wrap up chapter uh, 4 this evening. But before we do so, I wanted to offer up just a brief reflection. You know, we are in Lent, and so we are made to really critically reflect into those things that we have become far attached to, that we might be more free to serve God. And by that, I mean, if we are going to serve God rightly, we must first detach ourselves, right, from those things that we are so attached to. And in light of that, I wanted to speak to something Pope Francis said over the weekend. He said, do you read the Bible as much as you go to your iPhone? And that hit me personally because One of the things that I'm trying to be better at is not going to my iPhone and reading the number of articles that I've been reading, Um, essentially blacking out (laughs) my iPhone so that I might be more attentive to the ways in which God wants to work in my life. And so in the light of what he said, you read scripture as much as you go to the iPhone, I was challenged because I regard myself as someone who goes to scripture pretty regularly. But not enough. And I'll be honest with you, not enough, because one of the things that I realized is that I've been going to my iPhone to be up to date for whatever that's worth on what's going on in the world. And over this past week, I've realized um, the frequency that I've been going to my iPhone, because as I've kind of given that up, I'm coming to appreciate my attachment to it. So often we find ourselves looking down at this little piece of machinery and that little piece of machinery taking priority over the Word of God. If we call ourselves Christians and we call ourselves Catholics, we have to be better at reading sacred scripture. I know that as Catholics, we aren't good enough. We need to be more versed in sacred scripture. I often find myself teaching in Catholic circles, and I have to really encourage uh, those who I'm teaching to make sure that they bring their Bibles because we just need to be better at it. And uh, certainly I need to be better at it. Just not reading sacred scripture, but making sure sacred scripture is a priority in my life. And so Pope Francis's challenge was a direct challenge to me. And I think to most of us who have an iPhone, because it's just so easy to go to your iPhone and to get an update on what's going on with the world. It's interesting because when you have your iPhones, the iPhones now have those immediate updates. And so you just might want to go to your phone to make a phone call. And you're almost obliged (laughs) to read this article or that article because it's staring you in your face. And of course, it has a creative headline that is going to grab your attention. So you're going to read it if it's about I don't know, something Donald Trump did or said, or maybe something within your religious denomination. It's easy to just read that article, as opposed to setting the iPhone down and going to sacred scripture. We are reading the Bible, Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. And so 
if we're going to do this right, we really should be spending extra time with our reading. I could never say it enough. I hope that what you're getting out of the verses we are discussing isn't just what I'm saying, but also, and more importantly, what you are reading and praying. Uh, So this is very important because if we are allowing other things to take priority over our spiritual life, then our spiritual life will never be what it needs to be. And even as I talk about this, this is something that Paul himself talks about, right? Making sure that we are not caught up in the ways of the world, but the ways of God. All very important. All right, if you have your Bibles out, and if you want to turn to Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 4. Now, we reflected into verses 6 to 7 at the end of last week. Hopefully today we will get through the rest of chapter 4. At the very least, we will get through verse 13. I will go ahead and read verses 6 to 13, because you really do need verses 6 to 7 to get the context of 8 to 13. All right. I have applied all this to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brethren, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. For who sees anything different in you? What have you that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if it were not a gift? Already you are filled. Already you have become rich. Without us you have become kings. And would that you did reign so that we might share the rule with you. For I think that God has exhibited us apostles at last of all, like men sentenced to death, because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor, but we in disrepute. To the present hour we hunger and thirst, we are poorly clothed and buffeted and homeless, and we labor, working with our own hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we try to conciliate. We have become and are now as the refuse of the world, the dregs of all things. Wow. (laughs) So here again, he's speaking to the ministry of the apostles. In verses 8 to 13, essentially what you have is Paul reprimanding Uh, self-righteous Christians for their egotism and unfair criticisms. We spent a great deal of time last week focusing in on pride, right? Now, although he describes them as wise and prosperous, he's clearly speaking in the rhetorical sense, huh? His rhetorical irony implies the opposite, that if you think you are wise, in point of fact, you are ignorant. If you think you are prosperous, in point of fact, you are impoverished. So their refusal to embrace the foolishness of Christ exposes their pride and reveals how petty their problems look compared to the humiliation of the apostles. So you have this kind of juxtaposition going on, the wise versus the ignorant and the prosperous versus the impoverished. Now verse 9 is important in that word spectacle. What's going on here? Well, Paul is comparing the apostles to condemned criminals who are publicly being disgraced and executed in a crowded outdoor theater. 
spectacle. Those who follow Christ in a fallen world are a spectacle to the world. They don't make sense. Everyone is looking at them, jeering them, laughing at them. They are a joke. Is this not the point of what it means to become a follower of Christ, a Christian, to be set apart? Remember, holiness simply defined means to be set apart. Holiness is to walk in the presence of God, and God will always be jeered. God will always be made fun of because God doesn't make sense to the worldly wise, if you will, as Paul would want us to see. We have to enter into that struggle, right? That struggle of not wanting to satisfy man, to only satisfy God. That struggle to do what God wants and not what man wants. If you say, I struggle with judging someone, if you say, I struggle with hypocrisy, if you say, I struggle with lying, if you say, I struggle with slothfulness, if you say, I struggle with greed, then my friends, start struggling with it. Start struggling with the lies, the greed, and all of those capital sins, whatever capital sin you most struggle with. Start the struggle. Let the struggle begin. And by that, I mean, let the struggle in grace begin. Off the top, I was talking about attachments and personalizing it, my attachment to my iPhone, always wanting to be fed with the news of the world. I need to start struggling with that, that attachment. I need to start letting it go and focus more on my relationship with Christ, open up the Word of God more. It's not enough that I read sacred scripture to prepare our radio programs, to read commentaries, to read books. Give more. What more can you do? That's the question that God is asking. Not that God is asking us to do 10 things at once, but whatever the one or two things that God is asking from us, how might you give more into those one or two things? And what about this language that Paul is using that they are even a spectacle to the angels. This is interesting to me. You have these three sets of words and or phrases being used as it relates to uh, spectacle. They are a spectacle to the world. They are spectacle to human beings, and they're also spectacle to angels. That the apostolic struggle is a spectacle even to the angels because the combat is not with mere flesh and blood but with the principalities and powers with the evil spirits in heaven. So they're even a spectacle to the angels. They hold the angels' attention. Remember what we said before as it relates to Thomas Aquinas' words, that the angels are envious of human beings because human beings have flesh, and there's great power in offering up our flesh to God. So when ministers of God conform their sufferings to Christ, they become a great spectacle to the angels because the ministers of God witness to the power of God in that way. All right, let us move forward here. Verses uh, 10 and 11. Now, it's interesting that Paul, as he's contrasting the weak and the strong, 
draws from his own experience as a Christian minister. He speaks about his sufferings in ministry as a thorn in the flesh in his second letter to, to the Corinthians. And we know that he asked the Lord on a number of occasions to remove this. But what were those words that he heard from our Lord? My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Does this promise of the Lord not lead Paul to conclude? What do we read in chapter 12, verses 9 to 10 in this letter? I will rather boast gladly of my weaknesses in order that the power of Christ may dwell within me. Therefore, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and constraints for the sake of Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. For when I am weak, then I am strong. A huge challenge before all of us to enter into these words, these words that speak to our own sufferings and how our suffering is a thorn in the flesh. And while we might want to remove that thorn, Paul wants us to come to understand that God's grace is sufficient for us and that we are made all the more powerful in our weakness as we lean into God. Now, in verse 11, there are a series of six characteristic experiences of the apostles, and specifically here to Paul. He goes hungry and thirsty. He is poorly clad, thus being exposed to the elements, right? He is roughly treated, cuffed about, struck as an insult, as Jesus was, of course. He wanders about homeless, just as Jesus wandered about homeless for much of his ministry. What do we read from Matthew chapter 8, verse 20? The Son of Man has nowhere to rest his head except on the cross, John 19, verse 30. So here, Paul, like all the apostles, enter into the shoes of Christ, and they adhere to the law of the new covenant. What do we read? When ridiculed, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we respond gently. Paul lives the teaching and example of the master teacher, does he not? By his own example and teaching. In Romans chapter 12, verse 14, we read, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Elsewhere we read, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Do not be conquered by evil, but conquer evil with good. Paul is not only following in the footsteps of Jesus, literally, he is also echoing the law of the new covenant. And it's interesting, my friends, it was this gentleness that led some of the pagan world to think of the Christianoi, the Christians, as the Christianoi, the kind, loving, and merciful. There's a play on words there, my friends. The Christos, the anointed one, Christ. So the Christians are those who follow the anointed one, Christ, right? And then the Christos. The Christos are those who are loving, kind, and merciful. So those who follow in the footsteps of the one who was loving, kind, and merciful are the Christianoi, huh? So the Christos and Christos and Christianoi and Christianoi. See, there's a play on words there. So if we want to be the Christianoi, the kind, loving, and merciful, we must first follow the Christos. So finally, 
climaxing the paradox of the apostolic life. Paul says that the mission has made them the world's rubbish, the scum of all. The world's rubbish, the scum of all. So like trash to be thrown in the dumpster or dirt to be wiped from one's feet, the apostles are spurned by the world. And all of this, of course, is in contrast to the Corinthians, right? Who have great pride in all that they do outside of the relationship with Christ. So in this last part of verse 13, we have become like the world's rubbish, the scum of all to this very moment. Paul is saying that up to this very moment, this is what I have to share to you. And there's something almost hidden in that last phrase, to this very moment. Should we not all be able to speak to how God has worked in our life to this very moment? Not projecting what he might do an hour from now, or a day from now, or a week from now, but what he has done up to now, if you will, to this very moment. We are called to bear witness to the gospel of Jesus Christ to this very moment. What is the last thing that Jesus Christ has done for you? This is the one thing that God calls us to witness to. Certainly, we are to speak to the beauty of the faith as God has revealed it to us over the course of time. But we are always made to appreciate that last moment that we might speak to in its fullness how God has worked up to this very moment. Because this very moment might very well be our last moment. And in this way, this very moment becomes the most important moment. <laughs> okay. And Paul wants us to see this. To this very moment, this is what I bear witness to. And yeah, maybe an hour from now, God will do this in my life or God will do that in my life. And an hour from now, I will bear witness to this very moment when that hour from now is that very moment. Be present to the moment. What did Benedict XVI once say, that the greatest gift of Christianity is the present moment? What does he mean to say there? That God is calling you to something great in this very moment. All right, let us turn our attention to verses 14 to 21 and this fatherly admonition. huh? I do not write this to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then to be imitators of me. Therefore I send you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ, as I teach them everywhere in every church. Some are arrogant, as though I were not coming to you. But I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills, and I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod, or with love and a spirit of gentleness? Mm, some rich words there, huh? I became your father. So Paul's relation to the Corinthians is at its core paternal, huh? having brought them now life through the gospel. His spiritual fatherhood extends to others as well. We know Titus is regarded as a father, and Onesimus as well as Timothy. He spoke to Timothy there. Now, commentaries will get into the close connection 
between paternity and the priesthood in the ancient Near East. In the patriarchal age, fathers and firstborn sons exercised the cultic ministry of building altars and offering sacrifices for their what? Their families. Now, in Mosaic law, God elevated Aaron and his Levitical sons to be what? The fathers and priests of the tribal family of Israel. This same principle carries over on a spiritual level in the age of the new covenant, where Christ, our great high priest, ordains men to the ministry of spiritual fatherhood. For what? What does Romans 15 verse 16 say? The priestly service of the gospel. We have really drawn this out in special programming. If you want to go to the first few weeks of Special Topic Thursday, that night that is tailored to your questions, we really got into the importance of understanding that word fatherhood. Paul speaks to fatherhood as he is a father and minister of the new covenant. Now, what more could we say of these verses here? Well, consider the opening verse there, verse 14. I do not write this to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. So all of these critiques that he has of the Corinthian people are critiques that are rooted in a father's love. For all of you listening out there who are fathers, and for that matter, if you're a parent, you understand what Paul is doing here. Often we have to discipline our children because we know if we don't, they are going to suffer far worse consequences than our restrictions, right? If my son runs out into the street without looking both ways, he is going to get a consequence. Why? Because if I don't get his attention, then he just might do it again. And and if he does it again and and a car is coming, the consequence of bad injury or death is far worse than him losing computer rights for a couple weeks, huh? So we have to restrict at times. And out from that restriction comes an awakening. An awakening that is rooted in a time of reflection. Often I will have to go to my son and talk to him why I'm restricting him, why I'm grounding him. And with due reflection, he will bring to mind the importance of why I'm restricting him, why what he did was wrong and why what he did could lead to serious consequences, even death. It's his critical reflection into what he did that is going to allow him to be the person that God is calling him to be. Likewise, in the Christian life, and specifically to Paul's criticisms, to Paul's grounding, if you will, is this need we have to reflect into the why behind the restriction or the grounding. If 2,000 years later, we are doing the very things that Paul is telling us not to do, and we are not reflecting into this, there is going to be grave circumstance. Grave circumstance. And for those of us who are parents, we really should get this, because we do the very same thing as a parent. And of course, in this case, as a father. There are countless examples we can draw from when it comes to discipline in our children. I think we get the point. All right, verse 15, for though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers, for I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then to be imitators of me. Imitators of me, Paul says, to the extent that what? I imitate Christ. 
We know that Paul is not encouraging Corinthians to idolize him, no, but to imitate him to the extent that he is in Christ, that he is in Christ. How about verse 20? Drop down to verse 20. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power, right? But in power, because the kingdom of God has the power of the Holy Spirit. We go to the end of the gospel of Matthew and really to the beginning of the book of Acts. Jesus Christ gave them the power of the Holy Spirit, the dynamua of God, the energy of God, the fire of God, the love of God. And so the kingdom of God is built upon this power. And again, the power of the Holy Spirit. It's interesting here. (laughs) He says, what do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love and a spirit of gentleness? What's going on there? Well, he is a father. So are you going to get my firm hand or my gentle hand? Sometimes as fathers, sometimes as parents, we need to be firm. That's what I just spoke to. Other times, we need to be gentle, right? We need to be gentle. Justice and mercy. Justice and mercy. Okay, with that, we will go ahead and wrap up with a word of prayer. But before we do so, just a word about my book. A number of you have asked about A Heart for Evangelizing, and I really haven't talked about it on air. And the questions have been many. And to just get to the heart of it, as you can read on my website, it's just not about the spiritual life and evangelization. Certainly, that is at the core. You can get that from the title, A Heart for Evangelizing. But I bring in a lot of other aspects, and I bring in a lot of other aspects of the spiritual life, because if we are going to do this right, and by this I mean our baptismal vocation to live in God for other we have to understand that there are a lot of things that we get caught up with in the margins, a lot of things that we get distracted with that take away from our evangelization. So what I do and what I set out to do is to just not look at the spiritual life and how we were called to better evangelize, but what are those things that distract us? What are those things that we need to be more attentive to? And just not in the distraction, but also the virtues. That the spiritual life is very much about living out the virtuous life. That once we establish more habitually the virtues of Jesus Christ, we will then be more disposed to share Jesus Christ in word and deed. And yes, I do get into some particulars and nuances that are tied to evangelization and catechesis. But be assured This book, A Heart for Evangelizing, gets into a great number of things that are all caught up in this drama that is our baptismal vocation of living in God for others. That is to say, of better understanding the spiritual life so as to better understand what it means to be an intentional disciple. Okay, with that, let us close with a word of prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen, and God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 5.30 here on KKXX. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, 
The website is joeholcraft.org.